you so much. Good morning. Oh my goodness, it is so good um, to be here this morning with y'all. Um, I'm so excited to be sharing with you during our unnamed summer series here at LifeSpring. Hasn't this been such an amazing series so far? It's been great. Y'all might change your mind today after hearing from me, but so far, it has been so good. Every single one of these messages have just impacted me in such a profound and amazing way. It has truly really been powerful. And now this was our random summer series. So whoever was giving the message was able to speak on whatever the Holy Spirit had led them to. Um, But if you think back to these incredible messages, they don't seem very random at all. So Pastor Jesse has had several great messages. One was on God's power to revive and restore. Pastor Mary spoke on the power of telling our story, what God has done in us. Brayden spoke on when we misplace our passion instead of focusing on Jesus. And wow, last week, Pastor Dan's sermon on how God calls us to a higher calling of loving each other. Do you see a theme here? Each of these messages have talked about living a life worthy of our calling in the Lord. And months ago, before we even started this series, I had been asking the Holy Spirit just to lay in my heart what he would like to speak through me. And before I'd even heard one of these messages, the Holy Spirit laid it on my heart to speak on living the transformed life. Now, doesn't that fit right into our random series, right? How many of you know that God is never random? How many of you know this, that he has a message for life spring all summer long? And that each of our pastors and staff have all been sharing a different facet of this message every single week. And I believe God is continuing to speak to us this morning, and I'm excited to see him continue to do a work in all of us today. Amen? All right, so today I want to talk to you about transformation. Now, how many of you have ever watched those extreme makeover shows? Right? There's all kinds of them, right? Sometimes it's a makeover of someone's physical appearance. Right? They come in and they get a new hairdo, or maybe it's a guy with a big beard and lots of hair, and they shave his beard and cut his hair, or they give new clothes or new makeup, and they're brought out as, ta-da, the brand new them. Right? And they show the before and after pictures just to show how much this person has changed for the better. They have a brand new look. But it's not just people they transform in these shows, right? There's so many makeover shows about homes, having your house made over, right? Who here is a fan of the show Love It or List It? Anybody seen that show? Okay, Love It or List It. And so it's where they take a house, and it's typically a couple who can't decide whether or not to sell their house or to renovate the home that they're living in. So a renovation happens, and while that renovation is happening, they're out looking at new homes. So at the end of the show, they have to decide whether they're going to stay in this newly renovated house or they're going to list it and move into a new home. And sometimes they love the transformation that happened in their existing home, so they stay. But sometimes it is just not enough, so they list it. Now, all of these shows about transformation are interesting to watch, and they have some pretty cool before and after moments. But these transformations only go so deep. 
They are all surface level. And I think sometimes we spend way too much time focusing on surface level transformation. We think, if only I could change, and then fill in the blank. If only I could be taller or shorter or thinner or more muscular or more athletic or prettier or had a smaller nose or had straighter teeth. And on and on it goes. And we think if we were to gain this if only, our lives would be better. Or if we could transform our bank accounts, our lives would be better. Right? Or transform our jobs or where we live. And again, the list goes on. Because the world would have you think that once you have all the things, your life will be fulfilled. But church, in the end, these changes amount to nothing. God wants transformation in our lives, but he wants to transform our hearts. He wants to transform the way we view his creation, the way we treat his people, and experience abundant life in him. His transformation is not for our worldly gain, but for his glory. And to draw us closer into relationship with him. This is a far greater and far deeper transformation. And it occurs when we encounter Jesus. Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And hallelujah and amen for that. We accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, and our hearts are never the same. But I think some of us believe that once we accept Jesus, then that's it. We're good. We have our get-out-of-hell-free card, and we can just keep on keeping on. But church, we are being called to so much more. We need to stop. And take a look at what does it mean to live as a new creation? What does it look like to live with a new heart? What does it mean to live a transformed life? Jesus asks us to take up his cross and to follow him. He asks us to radically change from the people we were and surrender to his will. So I would like to talk about what the Word says about living a transformed life and how we as believers can find freedom and hope in the transformation process because it is a lifelong process. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he tells them about the importance of transformation. So if you have your Bible with you, let's open those up. We're going to be in Romans 12, or if you're on your phone or your tablet, And we're going to take a look at verses 1 and 2 in Romans 12. And Paul says here, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I'm going to get a little Bible nerdy with all of you here this morning, because I really want to dive into this word here, transform. 
that Paul uses. Now, the Greek word he uses here is metamorpho, which you might recognize is, a word, is where we get our word metamorphosis from. Right? But what is so interesting about this word in the Greek is that it doesn't just mean to change. But more directly, it means to change after being with. So can we think about that for just a second? To change after being with. Paul is saying this kind of transformation is not something that just happens, but it happens after we encounter something. Now, remember the story of Paul on the road to Damascus, right? He's just riding along, setting out to track down followers of Jesus and drag them off to prison. When Jesus shows up and everything changes, Paul experienced a profound transforming encounter and had nothing to do with his actions, but everything to do with whom he encountered. And Paul isn't talking here about a change like to change from your work clothes into your gym clothes. Or you changed your mind about where you're going to dinner with after church, like if you're going to the mill or ranchitos. It's not that kind of change. This change Paul is talking about, this transformation, is a fundamental, supernatural change that doesn't leave you even remotely the same as you were before, but utterly and completely different. We are to be so changed, so transformed by an encounter with Jesus that we are completely unrecognizable from our former selves. The word metamorpho in Greek grammar is also called, it's called a present imperative, which means it's a continuous action happening in the here and now, but there is no time frame set for ending it. In other words, there is no end to being transformed. It is a continual, ongoing process. So this radical transformation isn't just a one and done. It is a change that continues to happen over our lifetime with no end. We never end this transformation process. But remember, church, this isn't a transformation that we create It occurs because of an encounter. See, there isn't enough work we can do. There isn't enough will we can muster up to create this transformation for ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't attend enough self-help classes or read enough books on positive change. This transformation has to occur through an encounter with Jesus. He is the one doing the work of the transformation. God wants to bring our thoughts into alignment with his thoughts. He wants our heart to be aligned with his heart. That is what transformation is. Not that we become better people, but that we become people that are more like him. And what does Paul say to be transformed by? If we look at verse 2, it says, by the renewing of what? Your mind. Now, you might look at this and think it means we need to change our minds about how we think about the world. And yes, that's partially true. The word mind here means our intellect and our reasoning. But the expanded meaning of the word renewing in the Greek is the receiving of God's thoughts through faith. 
Do you hear that, church? The receiving of God's thoughts through faith. So if we put this together, Paul is saying that we are to be radically and completely changed after an encounter with Jesus. And this change is a continual, ongoing change. And it happens by receiving God's thoughts through faith. That is powerful. Transformation does not occur by merely changing the way we think, but by continually being changed through receiving God's thoughts through the Holy Spirit. So then, if we truly want to live a transformed life, a life that seeks after the Lord and His will, a life that receives the thoughts of God, God, how do we do that? In order to live the transformed life, we have to be connected to the one who transforms us. That means we have to allow his word to dwell in us. Psalms 119, 9-12 says this. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist recognized that in order to live a transformed life, he had to not only know God's word, but keep it in his heart. It is not enough to just read the Bible. There are plenty of people in this world that read the Bible and they know it inside and out, but they have not let its words dwell within them. Abiding in his word is the way to know our father, to know his character, his heart for us and his heart for the lost. And how can we be reflections of him if we don't know what he is like? We need to know him to become like him. And knowing him comes from more than just checking off a reading plan for the day. It is allowing his word to dwell in us. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I'm sorry, I'm going to get Bible nerdy on you again here because I really want to take the the look at this word dwell in this passage. So the Greek word here for dwell is enoiketu, which definition is to make one's home among. This particular form of the word is also a command. So Paul isn't saying, eh, we should consider letting God's word dwell in us. Or he's not saying it as a suggestion Paul is commanding it. He is commanding us to open our hearts and allow Christ's words to live in us. To allow our hearts to be a home for his word. And like the word transform, this is also a present imperative, which means it's a continuous action. Something that is not supposed to stop. The word of Christ is to continually dwell within us. And how is it to dwell within us? It says there in verse 16, richly. Not dwell in us when it's convenient. Not dwell in us when we feel like it. 
not dwell in us, kind of, sort of, but richly dwell in us. And the word richly here is defined in the Greek as abundantly or extravagantly. We are to allow the word of Christ to make its home in us, and we are to do so abundantly. Now, if we have something in abundance, we have more than enough. And since let dwell is something that is to happen continuously, then we are to continuously have the word of Christ dwell in us so that we have more than enough of his life and his hope and his truth in us. That is what God wants to give us, more than enough of him. He wants us to operate in the overflow of what he wants to pour into us. Because when we have more than enough of him, we do not need to rely on the world, which will fail us every single time. When we have more than enough of him in us, we stop relying on ourselves. Because church, we cannot rely on ourselves. Our emotions and our feelings are all subject to be impacted by our surroundings and our circumstances. But when we allow his word to dwell richly in us, we can rely on his abundance in our life, regardless of our circumstances, in spite of the challenges we face. We can turn away from the things of the world that might influence us and rely on the power that we find in the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you in here have moved before, right? Every, unless you are living in your birth home, that, then you have moved, right? We all have moved. And moving is one of my least favorite things to do. I am very fortunate that I have not had to do it too many times in my life, but boy, I really don't like it. Um, the packing of everything up and then the unpacking of everything and figuring out where everything goes, ugh. I just think it's the worst. I just don't like it. But when we moved into our house, I'm sure like you, it was empty. Right? Bare walls, big open empty rooms. But over time, as we moved in, things started to change. Right? We got things set up. We got pictures hung up on the walls, decor set up. The empty space was changed. And it became more than just a building with walls and a roof and rooms. It became a home. Right? It became our home. And it was transformed into a place of rest and peace and life. If we want Christ's word to dwell richly in us, we have to allow him to move into our hearts. And that's every part of our hearts. And if we allow the word of Christ to come and dwell in us, to inhabit us, to take up residence, it will transform our hearts. Now, you don't need to raise your hands for this because I'm not trying to shame anyone this morning, but do any of you still have boxes from the last time you moved that are still packed full, like in your garage or in a closet somewhere? Yes, I do. Um, in fact, we have some boxes sitting around from two moves ago that we have not unpacked. It's terrible. It's terrible. So what happens to the stuff that we never unpack? It never gets used, right? And if things don't get used, they can never impact our lives. We can't just sit around 
and expect the word of the Lord to have an impact on our life if we never take the time to open it up. We have to unpack the word of the Lord and in order for it to, in order for it to have an effect on our lives. And church, there is life and there is power in the word. We spend so much time chasing after all the things we need, we think we need to do to change our lives. When if we would just take the time to open his word and allow him to pour into us, we would see amazing things happen. For you see, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That's Psalm 119. His word is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy. And Jesus says in John, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Church, if we want to live a transformed life, we have to open the word, unpack it, and allow it to dwell extravagantly within us. God doesn't want us to just be informed followers, but transformed followers. We also have to allow his word to transform all parts of our hearts. And there are times, church, When we only allow Jesus into certain areas of our hearts, we say we want him to dwell in us, but there are parts of our life that we want to just hang on to ourselves. There are rooms in our heart that we are not letting Jesus enter into. We tell him, Lord, have your way, but not in this room right here. And we say, yes, Lord, please dwell in me, but not over here. You can have all this over here, Lord, but I'm just going to keep this part here closed off from you. You're welcome to dwell in that part over there. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this today, but it's time for you to open those closed doors of your heart and allow Christ to dwell in them. He is not scared of your mess. I want you to hear this today. He is not scared of your mess. He is fully aware of your past. He is fully aware of your current struggles. He knows your heartbreak. He knows your loss, and he knows your pain. He sees you, and he is just asking for you to let him in, to open those areas of your life that you have closed off to him. He wants to fill Every single part of you and transform you. He will take those broken pieces and make them whole. He will take those things you thought were dead and lost and he will bring them back to life. But you have to open those doors and let him dwell within you richly. To be transformed into the incredible man or woman of God that he has created you to be. Because to truly live a transformed life, we also have to surrender ourselves to his will. I want to read Romans 12, um, 1 and 2 again, but this is the message translation, and I just thought this was so good. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Isn't that good? God wants to take our everyday life and place it as an offering before him. Let me tell you that the world will tell you that it's all about you. Do what makes you happy. Put yourself first. Just do it. But transformation can't happen unless we are willing to give up the things of the flesh and replace them with the things of the spirit. And in order to do this, we have to be fully surrendered to him. And if we spend time in scripture, we see over and over again when everyday people, just like you and I, surrendered themselves to God and he used them to do amazing things and completely transform their lives. Even in the middle of their mess, even in the middle of their failures, church, that is where God does his best work. When we come to the end of ourselves and lay our lives at his feet and say, Lord, not my will, but yours is where God can do more than we ask or imagine. And I think that's why Paul is so passionate about the importance of allowing the Lord to transform us. If anyone could speak to it, it would be him. Paul was someone who chased down followers of Christ, had them taken to prison, separated families and friends, and stood by and watched the murder of Christians. And in one radical and profound encounter with Jesus, all of that changed. But Paul still had to continue to surrender his will to the Lord. He didn't walk away from the Damascus Road encounter and says, well, that was great. There's nothing else that God needs to do in my life. I'll just be on my way. No, he recognized the need to currently surrender our own desires of the flesh in order to have the Holy Spirit work in, it, in us and through us. And he says here to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. God doesn't want just a part of our hearts. He wants all of it. The good and the bad. The selfless and the selfish. The giving and the greedy. He wants it all. Church, the enemy would have you believe that you are too messy. That you are unlovable and unwanted and that your mistakes are are too great. But if we believe that our sin is too great for Jesus to transform, then we are in denial of the power and the cross of the cross and the sovereignty of who Jesus is. We cannot let our guilt be louder than the cross and we cannot let our shame be louder than the empty tomb. His grace is sufficient for me and for you. Because when we accept his grace over all our life and we lay it all down before him, he makes beauty from ashes. It is in our surrender that we are truly made free in him. 
And I know this from the radical transformation that he did in my life. See, I was raised in the church, and I learned a lot about the Bible. But how many of you know that the distance from your head to your heart can be very, very wide? So I knew of God, and I knew the stories about God, but I didn't know him in my heart. And since I didn't know him, I had this God-shaped hole in my life. So I tried to fill it with the things of the world. And at age 17, a senior in high school, I became pregnant. And the father, who I thought loved me, left me. And it wrecked me. Because I had placed my faith in a person. And people fail us. And we fail people. So I was 17, a single mom, raising a baby boy, feeling lonely and abandoned and broken and no closer to a relationship with God. That God-shaped hole still existed. So I kept searching the world, trying desperately to fill that void and dull the pain that I had in my heart. And I ended up pregnant again eight months later. This time, the father stayed, wanting to do right, as he said, because he was a Christian. But I thought I was a Christian, too. Because, you see, I had created my own world of what I thought a Christian was based on. And it was based on how I wanted to live my life, not how God wanted me to live my life. As long as I knew who God was, that was enough. And if I were to be honest, I didn't want to know God in a real way. Because I knew that would mean changing the way I was living my life. So we ended up getting married. And not unlike myself, my first husband was a Christian by title and not in his heart. And although we attended church every week... And he served on the church board, and he was considered a pillar in the church community. We lived a very double life. For you see, he was an alcoholic, and at the time, an undiagnosed schizophrenic. So for five years, I lived in a severely emotionally and physically abusive relationship. It is truly a miracle of the Lord that I am standing here before you today. Because I should have lost my life on several occasions. And you see, during this period of my life, I thought I deserved the abuse. I thought it was punishment for the awful person that I thought I was. I thought I was the worst mother. I thought I was the worst wife. And I certainly thought I was the worst Christian. With every abusive word... With every physical altercation, I was convinced that I had brought it upon myself. And I remember that I used to pray and plead to the Lord that if I died, he would have mercy on me and allow me to have a little space in the basement of heaven somewhere. Because there was no way I could possibly be fit for anything else. But you know, 
There is no pit so deep that God is in deeper still. Our God is a God who seeks after the one lost lamb. He is the hound of heaven who will do anything to bring his children back to him. And in the middle of a life of abuse and in the middle of a broken spirit is where the Lord, through a series of true miracles, delivered me from that abusive relationship. Through my choices and my running away from the Lord, I found myself in the darkest part of my life. Did the Lord want me to experience the abuse I did? Absolutely not. But God takes what was meant for evil and he turns it for good. He used it to turn me to him. He used it to have me quit chasing after the things of the world that had only left me broken and wrecked to find the love and the joy and the hope that can only be found in a life in him. And through people that the Lord placed in my life, I began to find out what it meant to have an authentic relationship with him. See, he took the identity that I thought I was, broken, tarnished, unworthy, and he washed it clean with his blood and gave me my identity in him, whole, redeemed, and a daughter of the king. And it took many years of me having to surrender to him parts of my life that I kept tucked away behind the closed doors in my heart. Parts of me that I didn't think that I could let go of. Shame. Regret. Unforgiveness. But as I continually surrendered those parts to him, he oh so carefully and lovingly transformed them. And I stand here not to tell you that I have it all together now, because church, none of us have it all together. Humans are messy. But when I look back at where I was and I see where he has brought me, I cannot help but stand humbly in awe and in gratitude and say, but God. And when we allow the Lord to dwell richly in us, we are will- and when we are willing to allow him into our mess and our pain, when we surrender fully to him, there is nothing that he can't transform. There is nothing that he can't restore. There is nothing that he can't redeem. And in my life, until Jesus comes back or I step into glory, I will continue to walk and surrender to him. For on my own, I am nothing. But in Jesus, I can do all things. Church, God loves you right now, right in this moment, just as you are. But God also loves us so much that he will not allow us to continue to live in the ways that are not of him. He wants to transform our hearts. He wants to dwell in all of it. He wants us to surrender fully to him so we can live. A transformed life. Could I have the worship team 
Come up, please. Church, as we think about what it means to live a transformed life, we have to look and ask ourselves, does our life bear the fruit of transformation? Do our attitudes and behavior reflect a heart that has been changed? Are we radically different from our former selves? Or are there parts of our old selves that we are clinging to? It is not enough to just learn the truth. We also must live the truth. We cannot be pressed into the mold of this world and hang on to worldly things and expect to live a transformed life. Peter says this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Living the transformed life is living a life that demonstrates the hope and grace that is found in Jesus alone. It means a life showing the fruits of the Spirit working within us. It means being holy and set apart from the things of this world. We cannot proclaim Jesus with our lips, but abandon him with our lifestyle. We are his image bearers. And that is what the world should see and hear when they encounter us. I would also like to ask the prayer team to come forward. Maybe there is somebody here this morning who has never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I just want to tell you, He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to radically change your life. He wants to give you abundant life in Him. So when the worship team uh, team starts to sing here in a moment, would you come and have us pray for you and lead you into a life with Jesus? And maybe there are those of you here this morning who have some closed doors in your heart, some areas that you haven't allowed the Lord to come in and transform. Church, He loves you so much. He wants every single part of your heart so He can fill you with His power and His strength and His Spirit. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to move freely in you today? Would you surrender to Him and give over those areas you are keeping behind the closed doors of your heart? There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is hope and grace and freedom. So please, would you come and let us pray for you today? Today is such a great day to walk in freedom. Church, let us remember to present ourselves as living sacrifices transformed by the renewing of our minds. This transformation is not merely an outward surface level change, but a deep metamorphosis that resonates through every facet of our lives. The world around us may be chaotic, but we have been given a glorious opportunity to live differently. We have the incredible privilege to let the light of Christ shine through our transformed lives. It is a daily journey of surrender and renewal. 
an ongoing process where we allow God to mold us into vessels of his grace and his love and his compassion. Let us be intentional about renewing our minds daily, allowing God's word to dwell richly in us. Let us be willing to lay down ourselves at the feet of Jesus. May we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And may we let our transformed lives inspire and challenge and draw others into God's transformative love. May we let our transformed life shine brightly in a world in need of the hope found in Jesus. So I'd like to ask you to stand to join us in worship. And if you need prayer, would you please come and receive it? Maybe you just need some time this morning between you and the Lord. Maybe throughout this message you have heard the Lord speaking to you. I would just like to offer up this altar, the front here, to you. This is a space for you to come and just come before the Lord. Meet with Him. He wants to meet you here this morning. Would you please feel free to just come 